0: Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD. Specifically, Slackware 14.2. Of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you, even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn, probably, something from this episode. So, let's get started. Slackware 15.0 is out. It has been released. It's on the servers. You can go download load it right now. And I guess you probably should. It's a nice release. I mean, it's a Slackware release, so it is not all that different from 14.2, I can't say. The experience is pretty much exactly the same if you didn't know that you've just downloaded 15.0 you might also think that you're just installing 14.2 i mean it's just that similar hasn't really changed and that's a good thing that's exactly the selling point of slackware right i mean the thing is is stable it is it is non disruptive it, it it is very much something that you you sign up for and and that's what you've signed up for and that's what you get for the next at least 5 or or 6 years but more like apparently I don't know, how long has Slackware been around now? Like 30 years or something? 25 years, I don't know. Whatever it's been, it's been a long time, and it has not changed substantially. And there are those of us, um, primarily, I think, Slackware users, that really, really appreciate that. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a place for distributions that do shake things up and and try new things. That's an important space to fill. It's being served quite well with something like Fedora, which is, is... very very progressive and integrates new things very very quickly and has releases every year it's it's an exciting place to be but but not necessarily for daily computer usage for me at least not right now that that's subject to change of course but certainly right now I've been enjoying slackware on my desktop and and now that 15.0 is out it's it's kind of amusing because it really is it's hard to tell the difference between what I was running and what I am running, the there, there's there's a, a very slight difference between the breeze KDE theme that I'm I'm running right now. It, it's mildly uh, there there are some differences there, but I mean I was using K Town, so I was running a pretty recent version of KDE anyway. So even that isn't that substantially isn't that much different. So there's not a whole lot to say about 15.0. What I will say in terms of you experiencing it is that if you want to try 15.0 there are a couple of things you might you might be aware of so first of all when you go to slackware.com there's a link on the left that says get slack that's the place where you go to download it's a little bit confusing because it doesn't just say download so it's it's got to be it's it's the get slack link on the left click that, and then it takes you to a page that says, uh, find a, a mirror close to you so you can download Slackware. And they're still not saying what exactly downloading Slackware means. And what it means, even in 2022, is pretty much you're going to be installing it. Uh, you're going to download an ISO, a, a disk image, a an optible, an optical disk image, which does seem a little bit out of date now. Like I say, it's 2022, it's a little bit weird to... To be getting a disk image because who's got blank disks anymore well as it happens i had one dvd left and that was the route that i took in the end but i'm going to tell you about a different way that you could do it so i downloaded the downloaded the iso it was like 3.5 gigabytes which i feel is actually a little bit less than the previous one i didn't actually double check that but I remember there being a lot of talk about how are we going to fit everything on a disc next year or next release, and people were actually genuinely concerned about sort of you know the size of the distribution, and and now it turns out I think that well first of all there is no limit to the disc size now because probably no one's burning them to an actual DVD, but I did. I, I I actually did. I have one DVD, and I thought, well, if, if I'm going to ever get rid of that one blank DVD, this is the time to do it, because I know that what I burn on there now will be used by me, uh, or, or will be useful to me, for the next five, six, eight years, whatever, whenever we see the next one, 16.0 or 15.1 or whatever. So I, I burned the ISO image to an actual dvd booted off of a cd or uh, uh, off of my optical drive and installed that way however there are other ways to do this and they don't really talk a whole lot about it on the slackware site that i could find so i want to mention that here so if you go to your your list your mirror list which you can like i say you can, you, you'll be linked there from Git from from the Git slack link on slackware.com you can also go directly there it's mirrors dot slackware.com slash mirror list. It gives you just just what it says. A list of mirrors. There's a bunch of them there. And uh, there are... You know, you have a choice between sort of where in the world the server is located. So I chose the Australian server, one of the Australian servers, because that's relatively close to me. And you can choose whatever you want. So once you go into a mirror, then you are placed or the, you'll probably see a list of all the different releases that they have, and one of them is going to be 15.0. So I'm going to go down to Slackware 64-15.0, because I want 64-bit. And at the bottom of that list, and this is the list, actually, this is the place I go every episode to look at the next package in the list. This is the list. Uh, the the list is in Slackware 64 and then in this case, it's it's KDE. But that's not where you're going now. You're not recording this episode. I am. So what you're going to do is go down to the USB dash and dash Pixie dash installers. So it's USB and Pixie installers. Go into there, and there's a USB boot dot IMG. It's 60 megabytes. Super quick download. Download that image, and then you can even use the USB image to disk .sh script, which is also in that folder. It's like 16 kilobytes. Run that sh- run that script. It, it transforms the USB USB boot .img into a, a, a bootable thumb drive. Uh, you have to have a bootable thumb drive. It doesn't magically produce one, but for, assuming you do, then USB image to disk will put usbboot.img onto your thumb drive, erasing everything on it, so obviously make sure that you've backed up the contents of that thumb drive or or that it's empty in the first place or that it's disposable. And now you can boot off of that image. Now that image, which is, again, 60 megabytes, that doesn't contain all of the packages that you need for an install. It's literally just the installer. It it, it, It boots and runs an installer script. And this is what I love about the Slackware installer, both for the operating system and the software packages. It it really sort of exposes how artificially coupled a lot of install wizards make the installation process seem. I used to think that an installer was kind of this magical thing that somehow produced code out of, I don't know, nothing, I guess, and and put it onto my computer. I never really thought about where that was coming from, but once I started using Slackware many years ago, I realized that all an installer does is untar an archive from some place and copy the contents of that archive to some other place, and that's all Slackware installers do it it looks at a a bucket of soft uh, of software archives uh, of of archives it copies those archives somewhere locally in an unarchived format and copies them to your your target so in during the setup of this installer you will define your your hard drive the target and then you'll be asked to point the installer to the source of your packages and this is standard no matter how you're installing Slackware. Even if you're installing off of the DVD, it asks, where do you want me to look for the packages? And at that point, you could technically, again, whether you're installing from the USB boot disk or the DVD or whatever, you could point it to any source of packages that includes the mirror from which you just got this usb image like i say there's there's a full package listing in this subdirectory called slackware64 so if i pass when it asks ftp.cc.swin.edu.au slash slackware slash slackware64-15.0 slash slackware 64 then it understands that that's where all the packages are held that's where the software sets are these used to be floppies we've talked about this before it knows where that that, that those that structure is there and then it will it will continue to it will make sure it has access to that which you know you, you need to be on on a network in order for it to access that but as long as it has access to that then it then it knows that those are the software sets, that it those that's the software series that it should install to your target hard drive. Now, if you don't have a network on that computer, you could do this in a different order. You could go on the computer that you do have network access on, go to this mirror, go to whatever mirror is closest to you, download all of the softwares, put it onto an external hard drive, boot off of USB boot or a DVD or whatever, and then when it asks you, okay, well, where's the, where's the, where's the, um, packages, point it to that external hard drive, and, f- and then it'll, it'll install it from the hard drive. So it, there's, there's a lot of flexibility there, and I'm only kind of barely touching on the flexibility, because there's, there's yet more. You could also, instead of installing 15.0 at all, you could choose, if you wanted, to install current. Of course, current and 15 right now are the same so it wouldn't matter. But let's say you're doing this seven years from now, and you, you don't want to start with 15.0, the old 15.0. You want to start following along with what Pat is is doing. Well, you could install the same way, either from a DVD or that USB boot image, point it to slackware64-current instead, and it would install all the packages in the current directory. And that's how you install Slackware. So on the one hand, it's a little bit weird that The default distribution does seem to be an ISO, but on the other hand, it's pretty simple to get around that with the USB and Pixie installer scripts. There is yet another way that I'll mention, although I have no experience with it. AlienBob has a live Slack distribution, which is a live environment. It boots into Slackware, reading its partition or its OS information off of a thumb drive and and you can use slackware as if though it were installed i mean we've all probably experienced a live distribution and if not there are lots of them out there and you just run linux off of a thumb drive you can do that with slackware it's called live slack it's distributed by alien bob who is one of the maintainers of slackware so that's an option i think that there i'm pretty sure there's an installer off of live slack where you can install slackware properly onto a hard drive. So you could do it that way. As I say, I've never done that. I've never used Live Slack and I've never, uh, certainly, uh, obviously, I've never installed Slackware from Live Slack because I've never used Live Slack. So I haven't, I can't vouch for that method or even that I'm expressing it correctly because I've just never, never tried it. But you could try that if, if you were so inclined. I do have an unexpected issue, uh, having installed 15.0, which has nothing to do with 15.0, but it turns out that my computer boots too fast now. Never thought that would be a problem, and frankly, I've never really had an issue with the boot speed of any of my computers. I've even, even when it takes a long time for a computer to boot, I just look at that as an opportunity to go top off my cup of coffee or something. So I've never really complained about that, but literally now my computer's booting too fast apparently because i've installed slackware 15.0 on my new nvme drive which i have on the um in my new desktop that i built and I, i guess that's so fast that it breezes past any opportunity to go into any kind of bios mode so whether i want to go into like bios setup or just choose a different boot device it it doesn't give me the opportunity to do that by the time everything wakes up enough to 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 for me to even think about pressing an interrupt key or a snag key it's already booting so a uh, very unexpected problem and apparently not Something I'm making up, I I did look it up on the internet to see if anyone else had that problem ever, and yes, apparently that is a thing. Um, It does come up a lot with gigabyte motherboards, which happens to be the motherboard, the brand of motherboard that I I have. So apparently there's, I guess, an option in BIOS called Ultra Fast Boot, which I guess I probably turned on because it sounds good. So I probably did activate it. And I think I think that's what I'm experiencing is that it's I've I've told it to do an ultra fast boot in other words never bother me about BIOS never show me a splash screen for the motherboard and just go straight into booting my OS and it's 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 very serious about that apparently because that's exactly what it does now why that's a problem for me right now is because I had installed 15.0 on NVMe thinking I would just kind of look at it find my way around sort of the logistics of having an NVMe drive, because I'd never had one before. But I would always have the option to boot back into 14.2 to have all the applications that I'm used to having and so on. Well, that hasn't worked out for me very well, and that's actually why I'm not recording this episode on Slackware. I'm installing it. I'm recording it on my laptop, my RHEL laptop, because I I just can't get into 14.2 right now. I think it looks like my only option is going to be to open up my PC, Remove my NVMe drive temporarily, boot my computer, sort out the the, the ultra fast boot option or, or whatever I've activated to um, to lock myself essentially out of of BIOS, and, and and then put my NVMe drive back in. That I believe is probably the route I'm going to have to take. So it's an unexpected problem, and I, I guess it's a really sort of good problem to have. I mean, being able to boot too too quickly is I mean, that's not something to complain about, necessarily. Um, and, and anyway, I think it might have been my fault anyway. I, I must have something activated that probably shouldn't be activated. So I'll go in and fix that, but not until after this re- episode is recorded. But yes, I'm not actually recording this on Slackware. I'm, I'm recording this on a laptop, on my REL laptop, and I will. Uh, I've got my slackware 15 up and running here on my desktop but I, I cannot record right now because i don't have all of the um all the software installed i i have barely have anything installed and i guess maybe that's something that that i've been enjoying actually for the past one or two days um i've just kind of i've just been running off of really just slackware in other words nothing from slackbuilds.org has been installed no flat packs have been installed because flatpak doesn't come by default on Slackware, so I'll have to do that through Slack builds. And it's kind of been nice to just coast off of what Slackware provides, and I've I've really enjoyed it actually. I mean, I haven't even installed Firefox, which Slackware actually does provide, but I never run it off of Slackware. I run I've got a Firefox install script that I maintain uh, that pulls down the latest stable Firefox and installs it to slash opt works really well, and it creates a desktop file, so it comes up as an option for all the things that would expect to have Firefox as an option. Uh, It works quite well, but I just haven't bothered running that, because KDE uh, comes with Falcon, which is a a browser, I think, based on Cupzilla, Q-U-P-Z-I-L-L-A, I I think, I, I believe, I'm not sure. Um either way, it, it's a really, really nice browser, and I've, I've kind of been enjoying it. I don't know if I'm going to continue to use it, because I'm not super happy with the password management yet. But, um, you know, there have just been a lot of little applications, I mean, um, little things that I just... Normally, I, I feel like I would install something else to provide. You know, even watching videos, I've been using the Dragon player rather than installing VLC. Little things like that, and, and it's it's been fun. It's been nice to just kind of coast off of the defaults for a while and really appreciate what KDE provides, which I think, I feel like it's a lot more than, than a it used to be, maybe? I, I don't know if that's accurate, but maybe the quality's just gone up. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's been great just running off of KDE applications for the past couple of days. Have not noticed it as a problem, and, and I've been enjoying it. Anyway, let's go get some coffee, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about some of that KDE stuff, starting with Attica <laughs> Coffee. Let's talk about Attica. Attica sounds a little bit like a library to me because it doesn't ring a bell from the from the launch menu. And indeed, it is. It's just a library. Well, I shouldn't say just a library. It's a very cool library that provides access to a collaboration API from freedesktop.org. So I'll. Oh just take a look at less slash var slash log slash packages slash Attica. And it's got some documentation that doesn't say a lot. And then it's got a bunch of header files and include files and things like that. Well, the, the short description is Attica is a cute library that implements the free desktop.org specification for the open collaboration services API version 1.4 grants easy access to services such as querying information about persons and contents. So if you follow this up and, and look on freedesktoporg wiki slash specifications slash open dash collaboration dash services you find that it's a specification for i think to many of us it would just kind of look like almost what you would think of as a social network but for you know a protocol for for a desktop this specification apparently is maintained by frank karlicek and i know that name i know that name really well and i know this guy frank i know him not super well but we've met at conferences before, he's the NextCloud guy. That's how you know him. He he started OwnCloud and then forked it into NextCloud. He is very much about, well, certainly enabling collaboration. And it's quite an exciting idea. And I, I feel like this idea has been around for a while. Um, there was one, I, I want to say it was called Smug Mug. I think that was what it was called, or there was something called that anyway. And I, I feel like, maybe not, because it looks like now it's a some kind of paid image sharing and hosting service. But I feel like at some point, at one point, there was something in Fedora that I had noticed that was supposed to be a little bit like that, where it would, it was sort of like a way across desktops to to find your friends and to befriend people to get information about them i mean as much information as as they are willing to share obviously it's, it's nothing insidious to show activities of other friends uh sort of like a um you know what, lis- what what music are they listening to right now or or what projects are they working on again whatever they want to share obviously but also things just very functional things like file sharing like oh, i want to share this file with another user except on most of our computers we don't actually have more than one user it's just our computer and and this is a kind of way to i don't want to use the word federate but because because it might not literally be federation but it certainly is in that kind of same spirit of well we know there are other entities running this software out there So let's come up with a way for those to communicate to one another should people want to do so. Unfortunately, I don't have the, I don't really have the working example, the primary example of this. I don't know what that would be. So I I can't cite what is using Attica necessarily uh, to experience it. I would like to experience it. I think it would be Kind of interesting to mess around with. Um, although, as with any kind of social experience, I think I, I wonder kind of how much how useful it would be if you didn't know someone else who is also using it. But this is the kind of thing I think that there's um, there's kind of a a cry for this kind of functionality out there, and we see people answering that call with really obvious, easy, centralized, not open source at all services like Facebook or Twitter. Like Those are the obvious gathering places. And I think that the idea to be able to make gathering places that are not central uh, and that are just built into desktops is a really, really cool idea, and I would love to see it sort of really take hold. But again, I, I just don't know. Well, first of all, I don't know what's actually taking advantage of Attica. I mean, I, I'm thinking of this kind of like a mix of, of finger and, I don't know, wall and those those kind of messages where on a multi-user system, you really could just reach out to someone and poke them and, and, and send them messages. But this is acknowledging that most people aren't aren't actually on multi-user systems anymore. So I, th- I think this could be very cool. I would love to see more applications take advantage of this. Uh, and then also for more people to take advantage of this, because again, it's just not going to, it's not going to be a thing if more people don't use it. And of course, unfortunately, I don't, I don't see this really taking hold outside of the free desktop. So it's, it's, it's best case use case, I think, would be relatively insular, unfortunately. But I don't know, something maybe maybe something like this plus Mastodon or something, who knows, there could be all kinds of all kinds of ideas are are coming to me based on this, but um I don't know. I just don't know the application that would be the the really easy one to point to to say if you want to experience Attica launch whatever, cuz I don't know what that whatever is. It might be something like um what was it? It was called telemetry for a while, and I don't even know what it is now. Copedi, Cop- Copetti, those kinds of messaging services. Maybe that's the the super obvious way. I don't know, but that's Attica. It's a library, so you're not going to probably interface with it directly unless you're programming in C++ and using the cute libraries. The, they're they're all header files and user include kfkf5 Attica. So if you're programming and you want to tap into sort of a social experience, I guess this is one way to do that. But everyone else who's not doing those things won't probably touch Attica directly and I wish I knew to, where to where to go for um something that that was using it but I, I don't know. Okay, next up is audio audio cd dash KIO. So KIO is a really interesting system within KDE that controls how KDE interprets um, a, a a resource or a file resource, I guess. It is KIO is part of the KDE frameworks. You you kinda get used to KIO after you use KIO a lot because you start realizing maybe Oh, you're using a KIO right now. So for instance, if I go to trash colon, I think just trash colon, yeah. Um then I, I'm I'm taken to to my my trash bin in KDE. That's not that big of a deal, but the fact that I'm able to just type in trash colon, I guess slash technically, in the um into my Dolphin uh file manager and get taken to trash, th- that's technically that is KIO at work. Another one of these is S, or no, uh, fish, fish, f i s h colon slash slash, and then the IP address of something on your network or, or the username at the IP address. You'll be prompted for a login, for a password. And then if all goes well, if you have provided that you give the correct credentials, you are staring at the, uh, contents, the files on, on that other computer. So it's, it's instant. A remote file system within Dolphin. Really, really simple and works brilliantly. I mean, it just makes, it, it makes your whole network your computer. It's really nice. So th- again, that's KIO. Well, finally, we're getting around to Audio CD, uh, KIO, which is the one that's in our list here, and that enables you to go to an Audio CD that you've got attached to your computer or inserted into your computer. Uh, I say attached because I've got an external optical drive and you can go to that cd and now technically an audio cd is not it doesn't have a file system an audio cd has a bunch of audio data on it the kio for audio cd kio looks at that audio cd and pretends it lies to you it pretends that 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 device has files on it and it it pretends like it has FLAC files and AUG files and uh, OPUS files and MP3 files and whatever other kind of file you can imagine that an audio CD could be extracted to, it presents to you. I mean, not maybe not every single format that you can imagine, but whatever audio CD has pre-programmed into it, it shows it to you in that format. You can go into a directory, let's say you go into the FLAC directory, and there's all the tracks listed as if though they were individual files. So this is an abstraction, it's a, it's a translation of, of what's really on that audio CD, but it's, it's very, very convenient, because that means that you can play an individual song, or extract it from that CD as a file, simply by dragging the file from Dolphin over to your to, to a different window and, and it'll copy just that file. Now what's really happening in, on the back end, of course, is that some media translation software is kicking in and searching for that one track and extracting that track and translating it over into the format that you want. But you don't have to be aware of any of that. And, and you might remember if you've ever not used KDE, you might remember on, most other operating systems, you, you need to have some kind of special application to decode the CD and, and extract, you know, rip the audio, and so on. And, I mean, that's exactly what Dolphin is doing. That's that's the purpose that it is serving in this scenario. But it's doing it in a in an interesting and sort of very natural way where you don't have to open up a special application. You just, for free, you get the KIO the audio CD KIO, working in Dolphin to present you the files that you can just extract individually, as if though they were really there, even though technically they're not there. That kind of blew my mind when I first saw it, because uh, it, it seemed so natural in Dolphin, you know, when you attach an audio CD and you just see the files there. It just seems so obvious, but you know it's not right. You know that CD doesn't really include flack, and AUG, and MP3 editions of that music, you you know that's not right. So you you understand on some level that that's a level of of abstraction, but it 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 feels very natural and it's really really convenient because you just don't have to go and grab the the audio ripping software it's just it's already there it's just part of dolphin that's kio that's audio cd kio anyway let's talk about baloo baloo b-a-l-o-o dash 5.90 is a framework for searching and managing metadata baloo focuses on providing a very small memory footprint along with extremely fast searching so this is the replacement for the file indexing function that used to be in KDE 4 up until maybe, I don't know, I want to say 4.6 maybe. I could be completely wrong about that. People used to hate it so much, whatever it was called. I, I've actually forgotten the name, which is kind of weird because it used to be a name that you would see a lot because it would crash a lot. And Baloo was the replacement for it. And it is kind of an interesting little system. it It does you know it it is a file indexer so it's running a lot in the background and it's it's indexing files and updating its index and so on so it is it's a thing that that exists and gets integrated into a couple of different places in KDE one of the places that it gets uh, um integrated into is KRunner potentially if you, if you have KRunner set to search through uh files like locations then that's the the fact that krunner has sort of more or less instant access to files on your file system without sort of literally running a find command that's thanks to baloo there are 3 um, commands in in this package there's baloo cuddle baloo search and baloo show so i guess we'll just start as we do alphabetically with baloo cuddle b a l o o c t l so control i don't know i've heard people say it as cuddle so blue cuddle or blue control is kind of your direct uh it provides direct control over the demon itself. So blue cuddle for instance status tells you that blue is oh it's currently disabled. That's funny. I did not remember that I had it disabled. Maybe it comes automatically disabled. I thought I had it enabled to be perfectly honest. So blue is currently disabled. To enable please run blue cuddle enable and so I could do that I could do blue control enable. F- funny enough, I'm not going to do that right now because now that I realize I've had it disabled all this time, I'm kind of nervous to turn it back on. Um, so Blue cuddle enable starts the file indexer. Blue cuddle disable disables the file indexer. Uh, purge, it will remove your index database, so then you'll have to start all the way back at the beginning, so just kind of keep that in mind. Resume, of course, resumes something that's been suspended, and there's of course a suspend command as well. Uh, check index clear config and so on so you've got a couple of different options there let's let's look at blue cuddle config real quick i'm kind of curious about that one okay so there's an add and remove and list parameters so i'm going to do blue cuddle config list hidden content indexing controls whether blue indexes file contents exclude folders oh that's nice okay Exclude filters. Cool, so there's a lot of configuration here. This is actually feeling pretty good. I, I know that I've had Baloo enabled before. I'm going to enable it now. And it says, enabled, Enabling and Starting the File Indexer. So now Baloo, I, I assume, is running. So if I run htop, for instance, do I see Baloo anywhere? No, and that's a good thing. The fact that I don't see it like straight up to the top of my list. I feel pretty good about that. Okay, well, I'm going to do a pit of... Blue maybe no. How about pgrep blue no. Now I'm not even sure if it really is running. Um, I wonder if I can just do blue cuddle start is that a thing no that's not. A... How about command start that is blue cuddle command start no that's also not a thing. Okay oh well so that's blue cuddle anyway you get more or less direct control over the demon status you can disable it enable it stop it resume it and so on. What was next I think it was blue I've already forgotten blue search that's cool all right so this is a search command for to to search through your through your um your file index which sometimes is going to beat doing a find command um so that's kind of neat so you can just do a blue search and then query and uh let's let's think about something that i definitely have here's um Here's here's one called mybuilds.list. So I'm going to do a Baloo search. I mean, it shouldn't find this yet, because apparently I've just reactivated this. It did find it, but in a backup. That's funny. So um, it took 15 milliseconds to find mybuilds.list in my backup directory, which I had in, indexed at one point, obviously, um, back when I did have Baloo enabled, uh, and, it, and it found it. So that's kind of neat. So eventually, of course, if I ran that again, eventually, it would find also my builds.list in my home directory. I'm actually feeling really, really good about having Balu back on, because, like I say, I don't actually remember ever disabling it. I don't know why I disabled it. I'm sure I had a reason at the time. Maybe it was just too too high in my top list and just started annoying me. I could definitely see that being the case. But with my new computer build, I, I kind of feel feel better about having Baloo on now. I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't actually remember turning it off. I, I never, I don't remember Baloo ever doing anything that sort of made me think it had to go. Okay. So Baloo show is the next one and in theory it, if I had, if I had everything going, you could you, you can do a little bit of a file inspection with this command. It, it shows you what Baloo knows about a file, which is kind of cool. Um... Yeah, so so for instance, you could do uh, blue show on well, it did have my builds.list. Does does it no, it doesn't have any metadata about that. Let me find a an image or something that maybe it would have. Actually, you know what? I don't have to do that. I can just force it to index something. So with blue cuddle, I can say index, so blue cuddle space index space uh let me go to my pictures folder and find an image. Here we go. And it says indexing. And now I can do blue show and then the path to that image. There we go. That's what I was looking for. M time is 2021.03.11. C time 2022.02.05. That's right now. And then cached properties is the width is 756 pixels of that random graphic. Height is 662. So that's the kind of stuff that Blue Show should, in general, show you, is, is what kind of metadata it has about some kind of file. I wonder how it does with, for instance, video files. That would be kind of interesting to look at. Let's try to find a video file. I'm sure I have plenty of video files. Yep, there is my heaps folder. Got heaps of video. So here's cloud underscore sky dot kv and it doesn't know that so i'll do balu cuddle index it's just indexed it and now i'll show that again and this time oh this is nice it has uh m time c time cache properties bit rate 95641307 duration is 14 14 watts i don't know width 1920 height 1080 aspect 1.77 frame rate 2997 so that's really nice this is the kind of metadata that Baloo gives you by default. It would be nice as as always I think the metadata's biggest I think problem is its inaccessibility. And I don't know that that Baloo or or anything that I've seen yet has really really solved that issue. But and and you know even 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 when the problem quote unquote problem is solved then there's the issue of portability where does that metadata get saved and how consistent is it and so on so it's a it's a big big problem i don't think that baloo needs to solve the problem and and certainly in terms of what's reliably reproducible it is just the stuff the native stuff about the 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 file and baloo then indexes that and squirrels it away so that if you're ever searching for it you should be able to, for instance, search for video files and then filter them by resolution or, you know, width or height or or frame rate or something like that. Now I don't actually know of a search tool that leverages any of that, and I guess that's that's the other half of this problem, right? Baloo can can gather the information, but then someone needs to to use the information in something so that it so that it's so that it's useful. And Baloo does have header files. So if someone was to create an application for KDE, they could use Baloo search, search capabilities, tag lists, Baloo settings, file monitor, all that stuff. So yeah, there's, there's libraries, there's header files here for usage. I just don't know of anything that really uses all of the different capabilities that Baloo has. And I don't know how many capabilities Baloo really does have. I mean, finding the, the bit rate and the frame size of a video is pretty impressive, uh, but how could I, for instance, also insert into metadata that there was a video of a beach at sunset? It's just not something that's that's really set up right now. Um, and again, not that Baloo should necessarily have that set up, I'm just sort of extrapolating. Well, if we're indexing files and we're creating metadata, how could that be useful? Anyway, as is, it is Useful. There's there's stuff that you can search by an index. Of course, as as I've learned, it, it's it's faster to search through an an index through a binary index than it is, for instance, um, a bunch of files and parsing just text. It's painful to kind of acknowledge that because plain text is just so darned easy for us humans to parse. But in terms of speed, computers do better often with a something that's the, the, where it's not just brute forcing, essentially, a combination of strings, and that it has some other way of finding that information. And that's why Baloo can find things very, very quickly. So, for instance, if I do a find on my home directory, and I say it's a type of file, and the name is going to contain the string blue sky, all one word, then it, it searches. And it does find the the file pretty quickly um and i guess i could technically do a time command there so it 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 only took like 0.691 seconds to find that but what's the blue the blue show or no blue search rather blue search uh blue sky and i mean it oh i forgot to time uh 0.007 seconds to find not just one instance of blue sky but two, one in video projects, one in videos, and then one, two, three instances of the string blue sky in a backup of some, uh, of a backup folder from who knows how long ago. So there's definitely a, a difference here. And there are, I think, advantages to Baloo. Uh, whether that's something that you need... I mean, apparently I've been living my life without Baloo activated for probably years. and Didn't even realize it. I, I always thought it was on. It has not been on, so that's news to me. But it is kind of a nice thing, and if you think it's, it could be useful to you, if you're, if you're a person who searches through files frequently, then having Baloo turned on, I think, could definitely be a, a good thing. All right, let's well, really quick look at Baloo widgets in slash var slash log slash packages Baloo dash widgets. This says it's a framework for searching and oh says Baloo is a framework for searching and managing metadata. Baloo widgets contains widgets for use with Baloo. I never would never would have guessed that actually. Great to know. Um okay so this yeah it looks like it's a bunch of include files again. With um, let's see, two different widgets, three three widgets, and four header files, and some CMake files, and some libraries, and some translation files. That's that's that. So if I, I believe what we're looking at here, I'm going to guess if I do a less on, for instance, slash user slash include kf5 blue widgets blue tag widgets. Oh, that's just an inc- it literally says include. Baloo tag widget dot H where's that gonna be is that just in- include no it's not okay guess I'll have to look at that again then uh, tag tag widget H here we go oh it's in kf5 baloo widgets sure okay so let's quit out of that and then we'll do user include kf5 baloo widgets and then, oh, blue lowercase, and then tag widget Yeah, it looks like these are definitions for interfaces for for GUI inter- interfaces, as you could probably imagine. To, for instance, in this case, create tags, include tags on things, and you can see that in, for instance, Gwenview. If you open up Gwenview and go to a picture, here's a picture. Go to a picture. There, there's you, you'll see the tag widgets um, in the left column. If you if you have in in Gwenview this is of course out of scope because we're not supposed to be talking about Gwenview yet but just we probably won't talk about this when we do talk about Gwenview so we might as well talk about it now there there are three tabs over on the left panel of Gwenview the middle one is is information or in, image information something like that I don't know I, it's just an icon for me right now probably because my window's not wide enough yep that's it okay so information is what it's called and And there's a a spot where you can do a rating. You can give it, like, one to five stars. And then there are tags, and you can edit the tags and add tags to... I mean, this is what I was talking about with Baloo. Like, actually adding your own custom metadata to things, which... I mean, that's great. In fact, I might be answering my own question here. So if I go to Browse, can I go to Videos? I can. If I can go to Heaps of Videos, go to Blue Sky, open that up in Gwynview. Yeah, I could give tags here. So I could put a tag of, for instance, you know, Nature, and then I would have information on this video. If I were ever to search for something with Nature associated with it, that would come up in Dolphin. That's kind of amazing, actually. That's really amazing. Uh, let's go to videos, heaps, uh, where's the blue sky one? Actually, you know what, I'm going to use... Well, yeah, okay, blue sky, because that's what I've been using. Add a tag. I'll call it nature. Oh, na- nature. Add that as a tag. So now it's tagged as nature in Gwynview, and presumably in in Baloo. I guess I could check. blue search, blue sky, and then Baloo show path to that file, which is here. That's the instance that I tagged. I don't see a tag there yet, but I don't know if I'm supposed to either. But maybe I'll do a blue cuddle index just to make sure and then, look, I still don't see a tag there. However, if I go to Dolphin, if I open up Dolphin and navigate to the location where Blue Sky is, and I right-click on Blue Sky and get Properties, and go to Details, I do see that it is... So here's the size, 170 megabytes, modified, accessed 14 minutes ago, created, tags nature. So there's that tag in the um, in Details and Properties. So the tag is that does exist now if i go back home and click search i'll do a search for blues No, for nature again oh but you know what i i know so file name is selected i don't want file name i i don't want content either though really do i i mean not really i want to search by tag and i don't know how to search by tag it doesn't look like there is a way to search by tag so i guess that's that could be the the reason that i'm not finding it because there's no at least right now, there doesn't seem to be a way to search by tag. Okay, well, separate systems, I guess. That's that's the that's my best guess. Is that even though Blue Widgets includes a tag editor, Blue Search doesn't for some reason include. What if I just do a Blue Search nature? Does it come up? Uh, lots of stuff comes up. How about if I grep from that list Blue Sky? No. So I I don't know what blue search... It's it's weird that there's a widget for tags, but apparently there's no way to search through tags. That seems like a a minor weakness. Um, Although, for instance, now, if I went to GwynView... Let's just see really quick. If I go to the Blue Sky video again and click on this tag, what happens? Anything? No. Yeah, seems like tags is not fully developed yet that's my best guess i see no way to search through tags and i see no way to to sort of invoke a tag as a filter so there's the limitation we've we've hit the ceiling for baloo it's it's the tag tags is the ceiling which is fine um honestly that's not a big deal because i didn't didn't even expect it to have the ability to tag stuff um tags in the future developing that out would be a nice feature i think um, or at least in theory because once again like all that stuff all with with metadata i mean there are so many points of failure you know it's whether you maintain the tags yourself whether you use the tags whether your tools the, the tools that you use most frequently are aware of tags and so on so there's a, there's a lot or or meta i say tag what i mean is metadata and and so there's a lot of sort of weak weak points where the whole system can just become useless because if, if one of those components fails then then as the user it just doesn't it's no longer useful to you. And all of those components have to always be on. They they always have to be available. Because the moment that it becomes not available, then it throws your whole system off. And then you stop relying on that system. Well, I guess it's gonna take a lot to to take find out of my top tool list. It's just one of those things that it, it's going to be it it's very hard to replace the find command for me and and baloo looks like it's it's still not quite the replacement because i mean you can't just replace right you have to replace with added bonuses and i i don't see a whole lot of added bonus for baloo right now although again for desktop usage i think baloo is really important and significant so it's it's it's, it's worth considering i think enabling, possibly, if that's that's the experience you want. Okay, next episode we're going to start with Blinken. It's a game. It's part of the KDE game package. It's a pretty simple game. It's like a memory game, so there's not a whole lot to it. But we will start with that next time. That'll be fun. We'll talk about Bluetooth, which is a horrible thing to ever have to talk about, and Bomber, and Bovo, and Breeze, and all kinds of things. So thanks for listening to this episode. Come back for more next time. I'll talk to you then.